0: So today, we are in Luke chapter 2. After meandering his way with the prequel of the story, Luke gets down to telling how it all came to be that Jesus was born into the world. And he tells it quite simply, I think. I invite you to read along with me. It's in Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration that was taken while Aquarianus was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged who was also expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, in the two versions of the story of Jesus' birth that we have from Matthew and Luke, you can probably guess which one is my favorite. It's nothing against the wise men that Matthew tells about, but there's just something about these rough and tumble shepherds. Now, of course, both stories have a lot of commonalities, but one talks about shepherds, one talks about wise men, but it's safe to say that neither wise men or shepherds are exactly on the VIP list in their day. Shepherds were considered dirty, rough, unruly, they spent their days living off the land and the fields. Matthew's wise men are outcasts in a different way, they are non-Jews. Likely practitioners of Zoroastrianism from the East, the scripture tells us they were readers of the stars. Luke mentions that Emperor Augustus wanted to take census of his entire empire. It was incredibly inconvenient, forcing civilians to travel great distances. And the sad irony is that you all know too well that this very area that we are talking about today, Israel Israel. Palestine, even Syria, continues to see where people are caught up in political upheavals and dramas much larger than their own life. Good people caught up in this political turmoil. And the timing of the census could not be worse for Mary and Joseph. Joseph would have had to leave his work, his income, travel with a fiancé, how scandalous that still is. They make their way towards Bethlehem, his family home. And when they get there, they can't find a place to stay. The hotels are all booked up. There's no Red Cross shelter to be found. They are homeless. And while they are there, Mary gives birth. She gives birth in a barn. In the midst of smelly, dirty animals, hay and dirt, Jesus comes into the world. Now, it doesn't get much lower than this. He wasn't born in Jerusalem, the city of kings and rulers. He's not born into the royal palace. There's no silver spoon in his mouth. He doesn't even have a spoon. They are homeless, caught in this political drama, everything beyond their control, with no one and no one and nothing to depend on. Can you imagine for just a moment how they must have felt With everything beyond their control. And here we have shepherds. Rough and tumble shepherds. Some cities in their day tried to ban shepherds from entering because they were always causing trouble. They are outcasts in their own way. And why of all people, of all kinds of people, do the angels first proclaim the news to shepherds of all people? My guess is that from the very beginning God is trying to show us that this story about Jesus of love came down is like nothing we've seen yet. He's showing us a glimpse of what his ministry will look like, what he will be like to the world. Now incarnation is the big fancy church word that we use to talk about what happened in the stable that day. That God became one of us. Incarnation, fully human, fully divine, God with us, Emmanuel. Frederick Bigner, whom I just adore, writing about the Incarnation, says, the Incarnation is kind of a vast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers. And if you listen to the story I read, if you even come tonight at 6 o'clock, and drive through our campus, and look at the scenes that are displayed, you will realize that these people are not powerful, they're not rich, they are common, they are peasants, they are low, they are outcasts, and they are outsiders. And it's to these people that Jesus comes. This is how God's epic love story begins. To the broken, and the hurting, and the scared, and the lost. Sound familiar? To the broken, to the scared, to the hurting, and the lost, he comes. There's a modern language of the Bible called the message. And I I like to read it sometimes because hearing it in a very common, ordinary language helps me to sometimes have some new insights into the scripture. And this is how the message says, John chapter 1, where John talks about the incarnation. It says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Church, I think as we have all glimpsed this disaster in our community and beyond, we've seen rubble. We've talked to broken and lost and hurting and scared people. It's important, I think, that we not forget that Jesus is already there. That Jesus is already there in the midst of it all. Remember, love moved into the neighborhood. Love moved into the neighborhood. God with us. Generous inside and out. There is No pain, no hurt, no loss, no grief, too big that he cannot get his arms around. You know, this week I spoke to someone on the phone from Dawson Springs who lost her home. I did not know her, and she and I were talking on the phone, and she mentioned to me that earlier this year she lost her husband and her brother to COVID. And on last Friday night she lost her house the house that they had lived in their entire marriage. And she told me it feels like she's lost another piece of him. And I said many things to her as we talked on the phone. I um, asked her if she was safe and had a place to stay, and she's staying with her daughter. She's fine, she's secure. I mentioned some resources in the community. She already knew all about them. I mentioned to her that she could reach out if she needed Hands for cleaning up, for salvaging, and she appreciated that. And then I said, before I hung up, I said, you are not alone. And after I hung up and finished that conversation, I wondered if those words came across to her sounding hollow and empty. I certainly meant them. I certainly believed them. But I just wondered... If pain like that, so big, so hard, so heavy, if any words, especially some strange stranger preacher lady, if it just comes out sounding hollow, that you are not alone. And that's why I think church, we have to remember how important it is that we not forget that love has moved into our disaster of a neighbourhood. It's why we work in this next week and in the weeks and days ahead in big and small ways to remind people everywhere of this truth that we are not alone. Because 2,000 plus years ago, love moved into the neighborhood right in the midst of our messy lives. Not for the perfect or the VIP or for those who have Pinterest worthy Christmas trees in their houses, it's for us. For you, for you, for me, for the broken, the hurting, the scared, and the lost. Love moved into the neighborhood. Emmanuel, God with us. So what do you need to do this week to remember this truth for yourself? What do you need to do this week to remember this truth for someone else, to help them remember and maybe that looks like handing out hot cookies and cocoa tonight at the drive through or paying somebody's hotel bill or doing somebody's laundry or showing up at a stranger's house to help them pick through the rubble. It's giving a hug or a prayer or a gift or singing carols on Wednesday. What do you need to do to remember this truth today? On Friday, I was talking to Pastor Mike from First Christian Church, Dawson Springs. Their building is fine, but they have, of course, had a lot of damage and loss amongst their own church community, and of course, we know the town as a whole is just absolutely wrecked. And he said something to me that really resonated with me, and I thought I would share it with you today. And he said he feels like, right now, that everybody's at a funeral. He said, it's a funeral in the sense that everybody's coming. Everybody's coming out from all over, and they're showing up, and it means so much, and there's plenty of food everywhere you turn. He said, but I know. I know in a couple of weeks, everyone's going to go back home. And that is when the hard work of grief will begin. Church, we will be here We will be in the neighborhood for the long haul for the people of Hopkins County and beyond for our brothers and sisters so that we all don't forget that truth that Jesus is not a savior for the perfect and the high and mighty and the powerful or the rich or the ones who have their act together. He's for you. He's for you. Because love moved into the neighborhood. Thanks be to God. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Amen.